In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. And we're live. Idan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, Bradley. Happy to be here. So let's start with telling us who you are, where you're from, who you represent, and then we'll take it from there. Okay, so uh, thank you again. I'm Idan. I'm the CEO of Reflectiv. Reflectiv is a cybersecurity company focused on mitigating the risk created by third parties' application uh, on website, and we will talk about it uh, during our podcast today. Uh, 20, 31 years old. Actually, have a, a new baby in the house just a few weeks ago. So uh, enjoying the the new life so to be a father and a, and a co-founder of a startup. Uh, from Israel. That's me. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. So the reason that we wanted to have on the, have you on the podcast is because this issue of cybersecurity is becoming more and more intertwined with the idea of e-commerce fraud. I feel like maybe five years ago, they were thought of as similar, but still very much different. Whereas now it's the opposite, where they're thought of as mostly the same, and then there's kind of a little bit that might be different on either of the two competencies. So I want you to start off by talking about kind of where we are in cybersecurity today vis-a-vis fraud. And as always on this this podcast, any stories that you have that can illustrate what you're talking about, uh, we love to hear, and then we can continue talking about it from there. Happily. So cybersecurity is not something new, of course. We, we are doing it for, uh, for many years now. But we did see in the last few years a, big, a, a great new type of attack, so a new type of threats that merely focus on retails or e-commerce companies and created a big risk for them. Uh, some call it in the name of, of Maidstart or web skinning attack. But the idea that today, because we all go digital and many businesses now creating maybe their first online store or moving their operation online, they need to be aware that cybersecurity today, in cybersecurity, there are big risks they need to, to handle. And it, I think, become maybe one of the most common ways to breach organizations. And we are seeing it all over the place. We are seeing uh, big enterprises and small ones small shops on Shopify and big companies that have their own platform all got bits uh, from their website, from what we are calling web scanning or, or, or digital attack on their website. Uh, and, and, and this will be aware about, about it. Now, so we I wanna, have yeah, I want to jump in. And before we move on to the solution, I definitely want to jump into this a lot more because I think there's still a lot of misunderstandings or just blind spots in people's knowledge of how this operates. So take me through how it's possible that these attacks happen. 
what is going on on the fraudster end? Where is the genesis idea of what they're trying to attack, the vulnerabilities that they're trying to find, and what are they doing to exploit them? Perfect. So let's start from the basic. So when uh, you, as an owner of a site, creating your own site, you want now to sell something there, uh, you run of something we call a, a website, and the website have, let's say, two main areas. You have what we are calling the server side and the client side. So the server side is your own server, it is the code that you are running, and maybe there you can decide which product you are going to sell, uh, or what is the platform you're going to use, the server, the security of them. And that's what we use to protect. If you go five years to the back, 10 years to the back, most of the security tools try to protect the server side, try to protect your own host, your own platform to make sure that you're secured. Uh, and I will just show some uh, names here, but everybody, Everyone has something, something like a WAF, like a web security, web application security tool that try to protect the website. And that's what we did. So five years to the, back, uh, to the past, server security, server security, server security. In the last few years, something changed. And the attackers try, started to think not to attack the server itself, but to attack the client. And when I say the client, I'm talking about attacking the end user, the user that actually going to the website and maybe typing his credit card number or maybe collecting some data on in. So why you want to attack the client? Why not to attack the server? Because when you're attacking the client, you actually don't have any security tools that blocking you because me as the website owner can't really protect every computer around the world. I can't make sure what's going on in every one of my users. I can protect maybe my servers, but I can't protect the clients. And that's what we see in the last few years. The movement from the server-based attacks to the client-side attacks. So now let's start to explain a bit what is mean client-side attacks and how it works, working. So when you are visiting a website, so let's say you're going to your best ESOP piece of platform and you are going to the website, you're getting from the server what you're calling HTML page. You're actually your browser, your Chrome browser, your Firefox, your Internet Explorer browser is loading a page into your computer. The page you're loading into your computer is the website you know about. You see the product, you see uh, the, the, the colors of the site, you maybe see the pricing, you see the form that you need to put maybe your telescope details. You are getting it from the server and it's all running on your own browser. Browser meaning your home, your Firefox. But when it's loaded into your home, it doesn't stop there. It's not like you're just loading a page and then you're stopping. In this case, in, the, in that phase, Actually, a lot of stuff keep going on on your browser because you're moving your mouse. So when you're moving the mouse, maybe something will do, need to pop up. Maybe there is a difference if you're using a, a browser in your computer or a browser in your mobile. So actually, there is a lot of code that's still running on the user 
to make sure the site works, let's say, in the most efficient way. And the engagement is better. You want to have analytics that you see what the user is doing. A lot of stuff going on the browser. And this is the place that attackers want to, to hack and join the party. So when so they I, know that... So, so Yeah, I just want to make sure we drive home that point that what you're talking about is all the different types of softwares that people run on their business websites in order to collect analytics, in order to measure whatever they're measuring. I think that was the thing that was most shocking to me when, when we were preparing for this interview is the idea that there's no way to close this off. You can't run a website today that's totally self-contained. You are required to have other people's code running on your website that you, by definition, don't have control over. And I think that's that's the part that it's really shocking to people when they hear it for the first time. Yes, e exactly. The idea is that the way that the world is built today, the website world is, building, is built today, you don't have any other option. A single website can have more than 50, 60, 70 different applications, software, that running on the user browser in order to make a lot of stuff. It can be analytics, engagement, maybe some advertising tools, some kind of code, a framework that helps the developers make a better experience. Even when you're seeing a graph, nice graph, like a pie chart, probably the site didn't grow the pie chart. It just went to some kind of repository so that someone else created that knows how to grow the graph and just copy-paste it. So you get all this code and you're sending it to the client side, meaning you are sending it to your good user, your user that just decided to buy something. But there, but that's when you get the problem. Because when all this code is going to the browser, I, I as the site owner, don't have eyes anymore about what is actually doing. I don't know if it's doing what it's supposed to do. Let's say collect analytics uh, to tell me if I like the product or not is reading my keyboard typing and sending it for different locations because it's all on the client side it's not part of my site and they have no longer control on that area and that's what the attackers understand in the last few years instead of attacking the server and then to need to fight with all the security tools and analytics and security experts viewing every possible request well, let's change the code that run on the browser side, on the client side, and no one will ever know until uh, the damage has been done. So I want you to take me through what it is that hackers can do with this type of vector. Because I think for me, who's not technical, and some of our fraud analysts who are analytical but not necessarily technical, what are you able to do by attacking this client-side code? Because it would seem that if someone's not hacking into your system, how much damage could that really cause? So when you're actually, when you're running a code on your browser, you can actually do everything that the site itself can do. When you are the browser, I can decide what I will see, what I will do, what I will click. So actually, 
as an attacker, I can actually do everything that I want. I can do, I can change the page and change the prices when I'm, with what I'm thinking for the price on the site. I can say, I can read the different types, the, the different key, keys that the user is typing. So let's say that you have a credit card number form, like you need to pay something and you type your name and your credit card details. If I'm the browser and I'm run, running on the browser side, I can actually read everything you type on your keyboard. And when I read all the stuff you're typing in the keyboard, I can then send it to a different location. That's actually uh, the most common attack, which I'll give you, for example, in a few minutes from now. I can redirect you for a bad site. It's, it's actually something very common that we're seeing today with advertising, when you're getting uh, advertised that redirect you for a malicious site or illegitimate site, and you don't know how you get there, but you suddenly your browser just loading in a, a bad page and you don't understand why. So when I'm running on the user, I can actually do everything that is possible from a browsing point of view. Open a new page, change the text, do accents from the elf of the users, click a button, a type of keyboard, or just see what the user is actually doing. I can't hack the server from there, yes, because it's client-side attack. So I will have all the access to the user data. I won't have the access to the, the site itself data. Uh, and the best way I think to, to explain it is to explain an example. So in 2018, uh, British Airways uh, got hacked. They breached by a client-side attack, like just explained. So what the attackers did, they found an A-B testing tool that a British survey used called Modernizer and were able to change the coder. Not a big change, don't get me wrong, not a big change. They actually changed and added only one new line. That's one line to the code. The line was collect the keys that have been typed by the user and send it to a different location. That's all. One line, uh, I can show you the code if you want. So when they changed and added this line, and now I wanted to buy uh, a flight in, uh, in British Airways website, I, as a user, went to the website, went and booked a flight, and, lo and got to my browser, got the HTML, the page, with the one line of malicious code. In that area, I didn't know that something changed. For me, it's the same page. I see the logo of British Airways, I see the color, I see the form, it's all the same. So I got the forum, I started to type my details in order to pay and book the flight, type the credit card numbers, and then this one-liner that was already there because I just loaded it to my browser, told my, my computer, oh, thank you for typing the credit card number, but please send it also the new location to the, the, the bad place to the attackers. So you can say, oh well, it's only one user, what's the damage? Pretty sure it's a big company, so one user got his data. But it's not one user, it's not one client. This attack, for example, was live, it's estimated for around 15 days straight. In 15 days, more than 380,000 people tried to book a flight or at least put the credit card numbers on British Airways website. So for 15 days, 
380,000 people lost the credit cards to the attackers. Right. And that's and obvious, a big, uh, big deal. Exactly. As I was exactly going to say is from a merchant perspective, it's not only about whether or not you're being stolen from, because obviously British Airways is not being directly thieved from in this instance, but what is happening is their customers are having their information stolen. And as we know, it always gets back to the customer that their information was stolen from you. And we've had many people on this podcast talking about there is data that proves the idea that once a customer hears that you are vulnerable and that you've let their information get stolen, they are definitely much more likely to go and seek out a competitor, even in a world where most of us expect that there's a lot of security and vulnerability out there when we use the internet. So this is definitely a huge problem for merchants, even though it's not traditional in the sense that they're not getting stolen from, at least in this specific example. But I want you to take me through down the rabbit hole of how this is actually possible. What is going on on British Airways's end? Their technical staff, I'm sure they, sure they have great technical people that work there. It's a huge multinational corporation. I'm sure they pay top dollar. I'm sure they have a lot of people that want to work there. I'm sure they're good at what they do. So take me through how something like this happens, how it's able to fly under the radar for so long, and then what actually tips them off in the end that there is a problem? So there are uh, around three main ways to create that the kind of attack that happened to British Airways. And on, on general, no, there are, it's more complicated, but to make it simple, if I, uh, as an attacker, and I want to do this kind of attack of British Airways, I have three main options or ways to think how to do it. The first way is to find a vulnerability on one of the servers of British Airways. So you're right, you're right. British Airways have a lot of security, good security guys, and a big team of security experts. But they also have a lot of resources and a lot of servers and a lot of uh, website owners and teams that manage the site. The attacker only need to find one place that British Airways did a mistake. Only one place, one server that maybe is available from, BA, from outside to send some code. Maybe it has some kind of open hosting server so they can just add the one line. Don't forget, the, all, the, the attack of British Airways is for us to find one place, one server to add one line of code that in the end loaded the HTML. So the first way is what we call a first party attack to find the bad server, the one mistake the company did that allowed me to interfere, to change the HTML, to change the page that is loaded to the site, and to add my own code. Uh, it's not easy to do, of course, the, uh, compared to the company size and, and the amount of resources that they have, but it is happening. I didn't say in the beginning, but uh, my entire career I started in, as an offensive security hacker. In my job, I, I manage one of the biggest security, offensive security companies in Israel. And my job was to do exactly that, to find the, the, the biggest, the smallest mistake that maybe you did as the owner that allowed me to get in. And I don't need, to, I don't need from you to make a lot of mistakes. 
I need to, to make that view, just to give me the access point, the way to get inside it. Once I'm inside your uh, internal networks or your website hosting, then it's much easier to me to just alter the pages or change something up. So the first way is to find this, this bad server and change the code. The second way to me is an attacker is to try to attack the framework itself. So many today are using, especially in the retail world, are using known platforms like Shopify, e-commerce, uh, uh, platforms that actually store the shops for you. So you don't need to create the technical stuff or you don't need uh, to change or build to have a lot of experts from the engineering point of view. You're just going to a ready-to-use shop and upload your product. And the attackers, most of the attackers, actually trying to target these platforms because the win there is big. For instance, the most common term we're talking about uh, web scheming and cybersecurity for retails is a term called MateScout. MateScout is this, the name of this kind of attack, attack for skill and credit card. And the term MateScout came from Magento, from the, the most common uh, e-com platform to use today. So the attackers went to the platform, investigated the platform, and, and try to find vulnerability, trying to find the problems with the way they build the platforms. And when the attackers find some kind of vulnerability, they can now breach or uh, uh, breach with this vulnerability all the shops of many of the shops that are using this kind of platform. So instead of just attacking one company, just attacking one British Airways, I can just try to breach uh, to thousands of Magento users or one thousand of Shopify users. It's actually the most common way for mid-sized, small businesses to be breached by uh, a web scanning attack or, or a digital security attack. So if British Airways was targeted attack with attacker trying to find a specific vulnerability in the service of British Airways, for the common small retail, no one will target them specifically. They will target the platform, the Magento, the Shopify, Drupal, and will try to find a vulnerability that will be able, able to use all around the world and hack thousands of shops around the world. So the third way. Yeah, oh, go, ahead, no, go ahead. I want you to keep your flow. Go ahead. Yeah, so let's end the third way because that's the most, I think, the most uh, interesting and surprising way. And that's something I didn't explain in the beginning, but I think you will find it a bit surprising. So the third way is from what we are calling a web supply chain attack. And for that, I will need to explain a bit. So maybe just ask a question before, so then we dive deep about how you can do supply chain in, uh, for your retail itself. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm really interested to hear. Excellent. So if you remember, we talked that on the browser, you have a lot of application running like your analytics tool or advertise tools in order to, to do all the stuff they can do. Those tools didn't created by the site itself. They created by a third party. They created by a different vendor that read a code, that created the code. So uh, the easiest example is Google Analytics, right? So Google Analytics, everyone using it almost around the world. And Google Analytics created by Google, not by me as the shop. 
But the way that the browser is working is that I does tell the browser load the code from Google. Everyone that I think ever saw and hear us and know and install the tag of Google Analytics, you know how it's done. It does add one line of code asking to load the tag of Google. And what happened is that I, the user, get the HTML. And then my browser, my computer, is actually going to Google or Mixpanel or Hazard or any other vendor and read the code from there. Directly uh, connection, the browser, the, the end user, and Google or other vendor. And in this case, if the vendor will breach, I will never know about it, and all my clients will get the malicious code. That's exactly what happened to Ticketmaster two years ago. So Ticketmaster, you uh, work with a, a chatbot company from the States. And apparently the chatbot company got breached, not Ticketmaster, the chatbot company got breached. And the attacker was able to change the code that was stored on the chatbot company. And then everyone that wanted to buy a ticket in Ticketmaster's, I think UK, uh, and went to the site, got in the page that, that, that he loaded, he got the request to get the code from the chatbot company. So they went to the chatbot company and just loaded the malicious code to their own browser. So think about the, 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 the unique situation here. Ticketmaster, in theory, didn't do something wrong. No one breached one of their servers. No one breached the platform they are using. There actually nothing happened on their own area. But because they added the tag of a third party, or a fourth party, then automatically all the users loaded the bad code. And that's what you call a web supply chain attack. Supply chain is part of your suppliers. And web supply chain, because it's the way that the browsers working today, they are going directly to the vendor. They are not going through Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster was not, was not able to see the communication and to know that there is an issue. It's not part of their infrastructure. It's a direct communication between the uh, end user and the vendor, and that's the third way that you can uh, read the situation when, when you're breaching a website, you're hacking a client. So that's, the vendor. that's really incredible to hear, and I think for many people it's going to be a real shock to know that you are so vulnerable, and this is a great segue into detection and prevention. And I'm curious one, what you can do at your site to kind of detect this. I know you said if you're a merchant that um, you won't really have control over what goes on with Shopify's code. Is there anything that you could do on your end that will be a red flag that somebody has targeted your website through Shopify's code or for larger multinationals because our audience includes all types of, of companies who are in control of, of what they're doing more than your average small to medium-sized merchant, what they can be doing to detect this, not technologically. I want to maybe, I want to get to the technology part second, but I also want to talk about the way that these hackers operate so, so that people can see the patterns in the attacks 
when they start to get maybe complaints from customers or see money going out the door. So if you could talk about both that and the technological way, and then that'll lead us into prevention. So the challenge here that is not easy to you as the shop owner to know that you've been hacked by a client at the time. That's exactly the main problem in that area. So when you're asking me, how can I know? It's actually not really easy to know. I, uh, assuming you don't have a specific tools that trying to block or detect this kind of attacks, you will need us to go to your website every few minutes or days or hours, open the browser and see in the logs if something in your own logs, in the browser logs, if something goes wrong. You don't have eyes there at all. So, uh, sorry, today just there to, is a new to, market trying to, to... Yeah, to clarify, when you're talking about BA, British Airways, yeah. obviously they were alerted to the problem, I assume, because many people who were their clients were reporting that their information has, stolen, has been stolen. Are you aware of any kind of volume that these types of attackers go for, where if you start to see a 5%, 10% increase in the amount of chargebacks you're getting or customers who are, not chargebacks, sorry, customers who are reporting that their information is stolen. When when should you start to think from the information you're getting from customers that you might have a problem like this? I will do it from the first complaint. If you have a, if you have a customer that sees something strange on your website, and maybe I guess he has some kind of a bit more technology expertise, so we understand something goes wrong. I won't wait for the 10 or 15 complaints. I will go and see it. ACP, it probably will be right. Because when, you're, when you know how this stuff is going, you probably will understand that you have a problem. So I, I won't wait for the 5% complaints. I will go after the first complaint. And at least check the uh, test and check the checkout and check the pages that you have there. There are ways to detect the attacks today. There are ways, uh, unlike the, I don't think the service had a lot of uh, options back then, but today there are good ways to detect those kind of attacks, but it's harder. It's harder because again, it's on the client side. So you need to, you need either to have a browser or to have a smart user, a smart client that understand that the browser is acting wrong. And yes, British Airways got uh, complaints from users and also got, uh, I know they got informed with other security companies that was monitoring the attackers themselves and then saw the attack. So they got alerts from the both areas and then understand that they have a problem. Gotcha. So this brings us to what you guys do as a company and detection and prevention at the technological level. So I'm curious from my perspective as someone who's not really technical, it seems almost impossible to figure this out if you don't have some kind of log of every little piece of code that's supposed to be there that's tagged to why it's there. And it just seems extremely cumbersome and difficult to try to do this. So why don't you take us through that technological level and the detection and then into prevention and, and how that works? Okay. So there are several stuff you as a shop owner can do in order to reduce the risk. And, and let's start from the basic. You want to make sure that you're doing a regular testing of your site for security perspective. That's always important. And it's very common today to do what we call penetration testing, 
or to make or to run vulnerability scanners to make sure that your servers are secure and it's important to do it now after you finish with the basic and, and common stuff then I will tell you and in the beginning try to keep to minimum the third party code you're adding to your site I'm not saying third party code or, or scripts is bad I know that they're in news but be smart use the ones you need and put them only in places that you need them to be there so in, in instance if you have a checkout page and in the checkout page that's the place that you're actually typing your credit card number try to reduce to minimum the external code that's running on your checkout page try to keep there only the most important stuff that you need and it's and it's, it's a classical of of, of 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 risk mitigation don't you don't need to have some so many external codes running on your sensitive pages keep them on the less sensitive areas so after you reduce some of your scripts i will also advise you if you're using some kind of open source framework uh, like Midento and others to make sure it's always updated to the latest version because they are they are keeping them secure as they can to make sure they, are, they don't have vulnerabilities also those known platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, they are keep they are working very hard with big teams uh, in order to make sure the platform is secured and if it's not secured or defined vulnerability, they are trying to fix it ASAP. So now that you have your platform updated and secured and you try to keep to minimum the external code that you're loading to your site, now let's talk a bit about how to specifically address the silence of of the client-side attacks or how you can fix the risk or, or mitigate or really mitigate the risk so to start your right you need to have eyes on what happened on the user side you need to have the ability to log as you said all the activities all the stuff that's going on the client side in order to then to understand if one of these activities is not a, a legitimate activity now there are two main approaches to how you can get those this eye the ability to monitor everything that's going on one approach is to install another tool another script on your site that will be your eyes so once in uh, except of loading on the analytics tools and engagement tools you will also load another tool that hits up is to look on all the other tools it's a very common uh, approach uh, you will get a new third party that this third party will be like the manager of third party and everyone which will do something on the page will need to go through this script or this tool and then it will monitor you if you have any any issue and there are solutions today to do it like this there are upside and downside to that but that's one way to solve the problem and uh, so think about it let, let's just install a security tool that will run on the browser so it won't do anything on the server it will be loaded to the user it will be loaded the first script and because it will be the first it will be able to see what others are doing and alert you or block if you have any problem the second approach and it's a uh, and as I said at the beginning i am the ceo of reflective so that's actually the approach we chose is to do the other way around is to simulate the user if we know that those attacks happen on the browsers let's bring the browser to the, to the story 
So in those approaches, you actually take the browser, take Chrome, like we did, and, bro- and visit your website and visit the shop and act as a user and moving the mouse and typing the numbers and uh, clicking the menus, actually doing everything that a user will do. And then because I'm the browser, because I'm the user that's visiting the website, actually all the attacks will happen on me. Yes, developing on my browser. They will actually tell my browser to load the malicious code or they actually will listen to my uh, typing of, in the keyboard. And then if you are a smart browser, you will see that easily because they're actually attacking their own security tools. In this approach, you can actually go live very fast because you don't need to install anything on the shop side. You can just visit the shop from remote as a browser and then detect any attacks easily. So that's the two main, it's a general speaking, but that's the two main ways that uh, security companies today are trying to block this kind of attacks. Either to install a tool that will be loaded to the user and then will be like the supervisor of the, of the HTML or to simulate the user that visits the website itself. So can you give me any examples, maybe as we, as we get ready to wind down the conversation of kind of an attack that you've seen and that you detected and that you were able to prevent and kind of what the results of that were I think that would be really interesting for our audience. Yes, so we have a good, ex- a good example that will also help us to summarize this kind of attack, of attacks. So uh, the most uh, common uh, tools today in the web is Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager and everyone using it. And because of it, the attackers also know that the best way to confuse site owner and to make, and to make him vulnerable is to trick him to think that he have Google Analytics, but to send the Google Analytics to a malicious Google Analytics. So actually, we found the, uh, 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 thousands of websites that got hacked during 2020. And the way they got hacked, that the attacker was able to upload to their own servers a Google Analytics script. But it was not a Google Analytics script. It was a Google Analytics script. They changed one letter from a GOO, GLE to GOC, GLE. So they kept the same code of Google Analytics, changed one letter. So the code was loaded to the different users that was browsing the page. And then what your browser did, you went to googleanalytics.com and loaded the malicious code. Now the malicious code was as normal a skimmer, a web skimmer that tried to collect credit card data. But after that he finished to skim the data, it it went to Google Analytics, the real Google Analytics, and loaded the legitimate regular code. So the site owner didn't saw a problem with Google Analytics. For him, Google Analytics was still running. But from the end user, they started from the malicious entity. So that was a very tricky attack to find because for the naked eye, it, sound, it seems legitimate. It's the same attack of Google. That's one letter change. When you have so many lines and so many scripts, it's very easy to fall and not to see it. And the SOP didn't know about it because in the end, Google Analytics kept tracking of their website like it's supposed to do. Right. So you make the mistake once and then 
you forget about it and you just don't even know that it's going on. Yeah, and actually uh, we have one of our, uh, we, someone reached out to us to try to, to, to tell us that he thinks that he have a problem, but he didn't know where is the problem. He got complaints from users saying that uh, they think they have some kind of malicious code, but he didn't find the malicious code. Because when you look on your website and you check the checkout pages and check the HTML and other places, he didn't see anything wrong. He saw only the tool of Google Analytics. Actually, what the attacker did, just as a, as a nice technical tricks, if you will look in your eyes, you will show googleanalytics.com. But then, a few lines after, they replaced the O with C. So we need to understand that to read that there is some kind of replace accent, you lines after the name to send from Google to Google. And that's an attack framework that we found. We call it the, the Google attack. They use a lot of different uh, uh, tricks of Google name, like uh, Google Tag Analytic, Google Tag Analytic, a lack uh, like, like of these names, uh, in order to make sure that no one will detect them or, or at least to make it harder to detect them because they know they will be detected in the end. But if British Airways were 15 days live, and I think Ticketmaster was five months or four months live, they want to make sure they will be able to keep their code with much time up until the discovery because every day it's live. More credit cards, more users, more PII data will be extracted. Well, Idan, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us. I think it's a really important conversation because it's something that I think still flies under the radar a little bit in the fraud prevention industry because it is more technical. So we really appreciate you coming on and laying it out and showing us the examples that you don't need to take it from from you. You can see the havoc that is wreaked when these types of, of attacks are successful and what it can do to brand reputation. And that's a nightmare that nobody wants to deal with. So we really, really, really appreciate you coming on. To sign off, why don't you let everyone know again where they can find you on the web, and then uh, we'll get going. So if you want to hear more about the attacks, about the, the way to solve them, or just about Reflectives, you can always visit us in reflectives.com. And just look for us in the internet. I guess in the podcast when you publish, you will also add a link to our place. We have a lot of interesting stuff in our blog. We from writing about different attacks around the world, how to mitigate them, to technical example and business example. So even if you just want to learn more, we have a very interesting blog to you to go and, and read and, and learn about this new threat that you should know about as a retailer or a shop. You should know about it. All right, Idan, well, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy, happy to be here. All right, take care.